Hello all and welcome back to Gleeman Radio's Return to the Wheel of Time podcast. Today we're going to be covering chapter 24, Flight Down the RNL. This is a good chapter, guys. A good chapter. From revealing Matt's precious to, uh, you know, some really important lessons from Tom that turn out to be, like, super relevant later. And finally, you know... Some epic foreshadowing from Bale Domon. This this is just a great chapter and an episode you definitely shouldn't miss. So without further ado, let's just jump right on in. Balzaman, now that you're finally fucking here, uh, let's record, shall we? Are you ready? Blood and ashes, Gleeman, let it go. I told you I was busy on Friday. Do you have any idea? How many friends of the dark I have to give orders to and oversee. I am so sorry that I wasn't available to cover your podcast, okay? How many more times do we have to go over this? Yeah, 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 I'm just saying, you know, it's not like I wasn't sleeping this time. I I was ready to go, and it's not like my sleeping last time for two weeks wasn't your fault either, but, you know, like, you were too busy. It's cool. Like, whatever. Just get on with it. (sighs) Yeah, whatever. As it turns out, the great lord of the dark himself wasn't very pleased that I skipped our podcast. I don't know why he finds it so damn amusing to punish me by forcing me to be... You know what? Never mind. Uh, here, this is for you. It is a Tarangrial. All you have to do is flip the switch and I will show up. Alright? You happy? Uh, this is on the orders from the Great Lord of the Dark himself. I give you this. You flip the switch. I appear, and we do our thing. You happy now? Right, thanks. It looks a bit clunky to me, and it's actually kind of heavy. I mean, uh, what's the what's the gist here? Uh, I mean, I don't think you're going to give this out of the goodness of your heart, and I don't think the great lord, your great... Oh, God, it got, even got me saying it. I don't think the dark one would just hand me a way to call his nameless for no reason. What? No, 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 it's totally legit. It, it definitely calls me, no doubt about that, you know? Uh, so let's just move on with it, right? Uh, you wanted me to do the recap and the spoiler warning, right? Whatever. <clears throat> this is a spoiler warning, you insignificant worms. So take heed, for I am the Alzaman, Heart of the Dark. The creator of this procrastinating content, Gleeman Tom, has read the series cover to cover, book to book, many, many times. So while he might not always remember the most minute details coming up, he may want to talk about a connection between something that happens in the current chapter and something that might happen three, five, seven, or ten books down the line. So if you haven't read the series to its completion yet, well, who's to blame, listener? Not I. Who went and ruined the greatest fantasy series ever written? Not I. Alright, was that, was that good? Can, can we move on? I, I mean, yeah, it was, it was fine, but I feel like you just jumped right into it to avoid talking about the device you gave me, which is suspicious, but 
Yeah, uh, I think we might need to change up our spoiler intro, you know? We've, we've been using it every time, and, you know, we do change it up just a little bit, but I, I feel like people might get bored of it if we don't, you know, find another avenue here. An another way to keep them entertained while cautioning people that might be wanting to listen to the podcast that haven't finished the series yet. Uh, what do you think? Fuck them. Oh, yeah, that's nice. That's a great way to keep up listeners' support. Thanks so much, Bowser. You know what? Why don't you just get on with the recap, and then we can move on into the chapter, huh? Let's do that. Fine, then. I got shit to do today anyways. Well, let's see. Last time on the Eye of the World, I believe it was Chapter 23, Wolf Brother, wasn't it? Yes. The curly-haired one with the shoulders and the child from Minethrin, who can also channel, were lost, and it was glorious. They were having a hard time getting food, they were getting desperate, they felt followed, it was amazing. So many of these children I'm trying to chase keep getting protected by guardians. We've got that temperamental healer with the Malkiri borderman and the child Aes Sedai, and then we have, you know, that Matt and Lu- obviously Luz Theron, and there with the clever Gleeman that keeps them out of trouble, I thought, yes, finally, these would be mine. I would be able to just handle them easily, but no, they had to be found by a warder who could talk to wolves. And oh, what's that? Oh, turns out this parent fellow can talk to wolves too, so now I have another goddamn thing to deal with. As if I wasn't busy enough. And now, he's going to lead them in the direction they need to go. Good, uh, great, great. I, I just... <clears throat> let's, let's move on, Gleeman. I, I have stuff to do. That was... That was the recap. We've done the spoiler warning. Uh, I think you're good. You'll move on to the clip of the day. And yes, just summon me back with the Turong Real. And we'll do the Q&A. There is going to be a yes, Q&A. Yes, Mon, we're still doing the Q&A segment. As long as people want it, we'll keep it going. That just means they need to keep asking questions and submitting them for the podcast. That's all. Good. All right. No, yeah, that's that's great. I'll just call you back with this obviously dubious Terongrial that looks like a power box. Ugh, I have a bad feeling about this. At least there's a place I can hang it here on my wall. It has a stud for that. Oh, God. Oh, okay, okay, we got it. It's got coils that come down. I'm a little worried about this, guys. I don't... I don't maybe we won't do a Q&A today. I don't want to call him back with it. Ugh, but you guys want a Q&A. All right, let's move on to the clip of the day and into the podcast, and then I'll have to use that. Oh, God. Let's do it. At least we get to talk about this awesome chapter, right? Aye, lad, so they can. But can a child make the bones of those animals? In Tonchico, they have them all fastened together like the animal was. They stand in a part of the Ponarch's palace, or any can enter and see. The breaking left a thousand wonders behind, and there have been half a dozen empires or more since, some rivaling Arthur Hawkwings, everyone leaving things to see and find. Light sticks and razor lace and hearthstone, a crystal lettuce covering an island, and it hums when the moon is up. A mountain hollowed into a bowl, and in its center, a 
silver spike a hundred spans high, and any who comes within a mile of it dies. Rusted ruins and broken bits, and things found at the bottom of the sea. Things not even the oldest books know the meaning of. I've gathered a few myself. Things you never dreamed of in more places than you can see in ten lifetimes. That be the strangeness that will draw you on. Alright, excellent. Some wise and wonderful words from Captain Bale Domon to start us on our chapter breakdown. You know, that's part of the reason I love Domon so much. He's such an adventurer. I mean, he really is. It's great. So, today's chapter begins with Rand doing his best to avoid Baal Zaman in a dream sequence. And these dreams are kind of hard to describe. So, I'll do my best, but I hope you understand if I'm vague in some places or skip other others. The important thing is, is Rand's on the run, and from the sound of it, he's been having these dreams for a while, which kinda sucks. You never want to be in that situation, you know? So it's my understanding that Baalzman, as a male dreamwalker, is pulling Rand, Matt, and Perrin into these created spaces in the dream. Mazes that are difficult to navigate and are confusing, and it's just awful and he's pursuing them while they sleep. Uh, I'm pretty sure Perrin brought up being chased around a maze by Baal Zaman in his dreams in an earlier chapter. I believe actually it was Wolf Brother, because he didn't bring it up to Gwen because he wanted to be a good leader, and he didn't want to worry her about things she could do nothing about or he could do nothing about. So yeah, Perrin's cool. Uh, and now we see poor Rand dealing with the same problem, trying to avoid Baal Zaman. Uh, but they're all kind of confused, you know? Because they're under the impression that the Dark One must be omniscient, you know? He must know all. So why hasn't he found them yet? You know, remember, at this point, they don't know. They aren't being pursued by the actual Dark One, but a batshit crazy Ashamayel. I mean, they're happy they haven't been caught yet, but, you know, they keep managing to escape, and they can't remember how they escaped because the dream is making them all confused, but it's gotta be so mentally taxing to have to be afraid during the day and running during the day and worried that your people and your friends are dead during the day, and then at night have to avoid this furnace-eyed bastard, you know what I mean? So, the dream sequence here has three parts. Two different mazes and a trippy mirror room. Uh, and as the chapter opens, Rand is navigating the first maze. Which, honestly, from the description, sounds a lot like the ways. Railless ramps and bridges hanging in the air, pathways that led to spires and other bridges, and some of these, uh, uh you know, ramps are hanging directly over others, you know, uh, and it sounds a lot like the ways, which I suppose makes sense. The ways were created by male Aes Sedai who had studied the portal stones, right? And as a gift to the Ogier for letting them stay in the steading, they grew the ways, and it doesn't seem unreasonable that Baal Zaman could have some of the same knowledge as these Aes Sedai did, and it could have incorporated a similar design into his, like, dream trap, right? 
um, or that this dream creation and the ways design could have come from something else entirely in Age of Legends. I don't really know. I just thought it was interesting and wanted to share it with you guys. And at first, I actually had to take a double take and reread the segment just to make sure that they weren't actually in the ways. That's how convinced I was. But then I remembered you can't enter the ways while dream walking. So, yeah, because there's that moment where Perrin's in uh, Emmons Field and he dream walks up to the Manetheran Waygate and he sees it open, but, he, you know, he can't, he can't really go in. So, moving on. <laughs> Ran knows he's dreaming or in some kind of illusion and he knows it's dangerous and he knows it's unsafe to think too freely, you know? Uh, and he sees Balsam on a way off, but thankfully he doesn't notice him. And he takes a moment to worry if Matt is dealing with the same bullshit he is, which is nice. Ran's a stand-up guy. That's all he's about. He's, he's worried about his buddy. Uh, but this kind of has him wondering if Matt is somewhere in the same maze as he is or if he's perhaps in a second maze chased by a second Baalzaman but this thought process disturbed him so thoroughly that he had to push it out of his head and he continues to wander the maze but then at one point he thinks that he's in a dream like I said he thought thinking freely was dangerous here and, and it proves it's right because everything suddenly becomes misty and shifty and then all of a sudden he's in a completely other maze and he doesn't even remember the shift. He's just like, huh, I think this used to look a little different, but I don't know. I just know I've been here for a while. I've been avoiding Baalzamad and all this sucks. <laughs> so this maze is made out of brambles and thorns. You know, it's a hedge maze, but made out of, you know, awful stuff. And the past is all dusty, and the floor has white round stones in it, and he walks along, and then he touches one of the bramble thorn maze wall for just some reason, and pricks his finger on a thorn, which hurts, obviously, but it kind of sounds like it throbs a little too much to be normal. And he uh, trips back and stumbles over one of the white stones, uh, kicking it free, revealing, oh, oh no, it wasn't a white stone at all, but a skull. Scary. Awful. I don't, I don't like this part of the dream at all. I, I, I would not want to be there myself. It sounds awful. I mean, it just, just, just awful. Uh, continuing on, Rand runs smack into Balsamon, who's surprised for just a moment. Uh, which obviously shows he's not the real Dark One. I mean, it's all the way back in book one. Would the Dark One really have been surprised to turn a corner and run into Rand? No, this is obviously not the Dark One, but, you know, they're too scared and, uh, you know, unlearned to know that yet. And Baalzaman stares at him in a moment in surprise before plunging into one of his typical tyrannical mad ranting things that's honestly starting to sound all the same and it's just gonna keep happening but whatever enjoy this dramatic reenactment i did with baalzaman on friday because it's all the time he gave for me to do he's like i could only be here for a few minutes do you need me no okay it's bullshit it's bullshit so i'll, I'll show you that but let's be honest it didn't go too well <laughs> we argue as you know
Ah, I finally found you, boy. How long do you think you can evade your fate? You are mine. Oh no, he found me. Where the hell's my sword? Light, help me. Light, help me. I deny you. The light will not save you, boy, nor will the eye of the world serve you. You will be my hound, and if you will not come and go at my command, I will strangle you with the corpse of the great serpent. Never! The light saved me! Wait, wait, wait. You'll strangle him with the corpse of the metaphorical symbol for time? Being a wheel? R really? Balsamon, in these chapters, you are like... Foaming at the mouth crazy. You really, really I are. take you. Are we really getting off track again? What did you expect, Gleeman? I'd been alive and in charge of the forces of darkness, half sealed for 3,000 years. Of course, I went a little... A little doesn't even begin to cover it. The only other character in this series that comes as anywhere near close to being as batshit crazy as you are is Padon Fane slash Mordith mix. I mean, really. Again, I told you, do not ever compare me to Mordith. Do you understand? Not... Ever, I knew this would be a mistake. I told you I did not have time for this. I was busy, but you wanted to do a little bit. You know what? I've got shit to do. <laughs> you know what, guys? At some point, we're going to have to do a count and how many times either Baalzamana or I storm out in a huff because this is just getting ridiculous. That was literally Friday. I was like, let's do this. No, I got shit to do. Well, help me with one thing real quick. And he couldn't even do that. It was, it was awful. Oh, oh, I hope this podcast isn't doomed. Uh, maybe this box really will help, but I do have a bad feeling on it. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, yeah, just saying, Baalzaban is nuts here and not making a whole lot of sense. Uh, moving on. Rand escaped from Baalzaman this time by shouting that this was a dream. Something that, you know he felt sure was dangerous to do because it might drop him into wherever, but, you know, he was confronted with burning eyes and an open, gaping mouth of flame. I, I think he made a reasonable decision to run away. Uh, however, this lands him in the third and most confusing part of the dream. He's scared and hunched over in a room just full of mirrors, and he thinks he sees Baalzaman. And he turns in circles, looking into all the mirrors, until it looks like he and the Betrayer of Hope have I'm the not same exactly fate. sure if this is just Baalzaman's final screw you here for escaping yet again just by, like, terrifying him, or if this was some very early on hint that the two are tied together. I, I just, I'm, I don't know. I'm pretty sure men already told him about three women surrounding a funeral pyre with him on it, so maybe RJ had already had the body swap with Rand and Moradin planned. You know, that's a really cool thought, but I don't... I don't know. Honestly, when it comes to stuff like the last portion of the dream, sometimes I wonder if Rand himself is a dreamer, not a dreamwalker. That's a completely different thing. Dreamwalkers can enter the dream at will and, you know, do all that kind of stuff, but dreamers just get true dreams, like visions of... Like versions of foretelling. 
You know, Egwene is seen to have versions of both. Perrin seems to have versions of both. But they're not, like, always bound to each other. And sometimes Rand gets these dreams that seem precog pre dreams or very symbolic dreams for his future. You know, Tom on the litter instead of Tam when he's pulling his father to safety in the dream. And it's... And uh, Tom is juggling balls and chanting that the dragon is one with the land and the land one with the dragon. Or the dream of Tarvalin with the people all trying to direct him into the gleaming tower in the center of the island. Why would Balsmont give him that dream? Uh, it, or more importantly, if he did, why haven't Ma Matt and Perrin admitted to this one as well? Because at this point, we're under the assumption that Balsmont doesn't know which three of them is the quote-unquote important one. I, I just, I guess this one just ends with another I don't know, but at least the final dream sequence is over and Rand wakes up on the spray, you know, Bail Domon's river ship. However, he does notice his finger is still bleeding from the thorn, so he gets another little reminder that even his sleep isn't safe. <laughs> Tough break, pal. All right, moving on to the next segment of the chapter, we learn that Doman's been pushing forward day and night, still convinced that the Trollocs were after him and not the other three. However, for all his want for haste, the ship still made slow progress downriver. At night, the current pulled them, while men kept a careful eye, using the best, me best methods they knew how to avoid running into mud banks or a sandbar. You know, those can get the ship stuck, and then they'd be in real trouble. And uh, the wind blew in the wrong direction for the sails, so during the day, the men worked the sweeps, pulling the ship along even farther away from the Trollocs downriver. And before too long, though, the men started to grumble and complain a bit, you know? They're, they want to stretch their legs on land. They, 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 they must have surely outrun the Trollocs by now. You know, they want a bit of rest. But whenever his men begin to grumble like this, Doman would disappear into his cabin and return with the Trolloc sword left on deck and hang it up on the mast. And the men who were injured in the attack fingers their bandage moodily and, and, you know, redoubled their efforts. You know, it worked. And they started pulling their way on again. But, you know, that only worked for a day and a half at most. And then they'd be back to grumbling again. And Rand noticed that whenever the crew began to mutter and grumble amongst themselves, Tom would avoid them completely, you know? He'd be watching them out of the corner of his eye, but he'd be staying out of their way. But when the muttering stopped, he was back amongst them once more, slapping backs, telling jokes, stories, any song they requested, and he was able to make even the toughest-looking one of them smile with delight. And that's a really good thing. I mean, it must be just amazing to have a gleeman or entertainer of Tom's caliber near you on that ship. It just me must be awesome. I I I am so jealous. Uh, something Rand found surprising 
was that none of the sailors seemed to blame him or Matt or Tom for the Trollic fiasco. In fact, they were all quite friendly. They did, however, blame Florin Gelb, because they all remembered the watch he failed to keep. And it wasn't only the captain giving him a hard time. Now, I could pity Gelb a bit if he wasn't just a raging douchebag. I, I mean, really, he did tie down the boom the night of the attack. It's not his fault. Rand unknowingly channeled and brought it about to smack a trollic off the ship. But you want to know what is his fault? Sleeping during watch. At that moment, it was literally Gelb's job to watch over his sleeping comrades and to stay alert, watching out for any threats. But what did that man do? He slept. And Matt and Tom were already on board by the time he woke and Rand landed on top of him while throwing himself aboard. You know, and Tom was yelling at the ship. So not only did Gelb let three armed and potentially dangerous vagabonds board the ship with no alarm, Trollocs followed right after, and he didn't even have the proper grace to feel apologetic for his mistake or show a bit of remorse, you know? What does this piece of shit do? He tries to convince the crew to turn on the three fresh faces, even trying to yet again to name them Dark Friends, and it's just awful. I really like the scene where he's whining and complaining to one of the crewmates and the buff tattooed sailor just tells Gelb to shut the hell up and spits on his bare feet, you know? And according to Rand, that was one of the kindest exchanges the man got from his fellow sailors. Yikes. That's rough too, but that piece of crap deserves it. He really, really does. Oh, oh, okay, that spitting on the feet thing reminds me of something. So we learn that all the sailors work barefoot on the deck because apparently boots have the potential to slip on a wet deck. And it makes me wonder if these guys ever get splinters, right? Uh, right after I moved down here to Colorado, I tried to do a power slide on the living room floor, which is hardwood, uh, but it hadn't been maintained in a while. And I... It, it really kind of ended in a roar of pain as I got like this three-inch splinter in my foot. I actually posted a picture of it on Twitter today while I was thinking about this. And it just really makes me wonder. I mean, I had to drive myself to the ER, all this stuff. It was awful. I just want to know how they keep themselves from getting splinters in their feet while running around their decks. How do they do it? At first, I was wondering if maybe they sanded the decks down, but then I think I got my answer a little bit later in the chapter while Rand's doing his swaying off the mast thing, uh, where we see men polishing the deck with round stones, probably as a way to keep them smooth. Plus, uh, I had uh, a person on Twitter tell me that uh, I don't remember who it was. I feel like I should, though, that the sailors obviously got calluses on their feet, too, to help protect them. Uh, so that, that I was, it was just something that had me stop and think while I was reading through this chapter. Uh, <laughs> kind of got on a tangent there, didn't I? Anyways, back to the story. So, yeah, seeing Florin Gelb act like a bitter, raging asshole... 
uh, Rand tells Matt that Gelb may be trouble, you know? But an uncharacteristically sour Matt asks if any one of them could be trusted at all before moving off to brood alone somewhere and stroke the precious he has hidden in his coat. Damn, evil dagger. Not even Rand knows about it neck yet. Ugh. But it's just, it's, it's ruining Matt, okay? He was kind of cool, if a little bit impulsive and dumbass, you know, a little bit of a time. But he wasn't all that bad. And then he gets the dagger, and he just becomes awful. And I cannot wait for the Dragon Reborn, because Matt is, like, one of my favorite characters, and I want a POV. I just, I just want it. I just... Okay, moving on. Uh, but that's when Tom drops the bomb that if trouble comes, it won't be from Florin Gelb. He's too twitchy and, you know, weak to cause trouble all on his own. And the rest of the crew will not support him. However, Doman thinks the Trollocs are after him personally, which some of them are. As we learn later, Doman has a certain, um, Quendiar seal aboard his ship at this very moment. But he's been pushing the crew relentlessly, pushing forward day and night, and the sailors just seem to be getting tired of it. And Tom thinks that they might just mutiny. And if they do, they won't be leaving passengers around to spread the tale. She, you know, Tom goes on that, you know, the queen would not stand for this. But the queen's writ is very shallow out here. But, even like a village mayor might take action if they hear about a mutiny. So, so they, they'll, they'll just want to shut Rand, Matt, and Tom up. Oh, poor guys. Not only do Rand and Matt have to worry about the supposed devil haunting them in their dreams, and if their friends are alive or not, or, you know, they have to worry about Shadow Spawn and Dark Friends, but now, they also have to worry about the men they're traveling with, too. That's just, that's just great. Oh, they're having <laughs> such a carefree, stressless travel session, right? Oh, man. Meanwhile, Tom began giving the boys lessons to keep their cover as gleemen and apprentices which also seems to serve as some extra entertainment for the crew, which is good. And they even tried their own hands at a few simple lessons, laughing at themselves at their own fumbling mistakes, which is cool. Personally, if you're able to make a mistake and laugh at yourself, I doubt you're going to mutiny, right? Did You just seem too good-natured for that. But whatever, I, I think Tom Marilyn knows more about this stuff than I do. Um... Anyways, Tom teaches the Two Rivers boys minor acrobatics, juggling, the flute, and some of the simpler stories. He wouldn't let them touch his harp, though, as their clumsy farmer fingers were never meant for it. <laughs> Tom could be a bit of an asshole, but he probably really loves his harp, you know? Uh, honestly, this sounds amazing! The greatest bloody gleeman of the age teaching the boys the tricks of the trade? I'm jealous. It's, 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 uh, they don't appreciate it as much as they should. And I love how this just seems to happen naturally. You know, but it's just so damn important for the story in the long run. You could almost say the pattern provided the boys another excellent teacher 
at just the right time for them to need it. Uh, by the way, I would say their first teacher was Lan, you know, outside the two rivers. Anyways, what they learn here is super important. Rand isn't the best at juggling, but he turns out to be, you know, all right at the flute, you know, a work in progress. And Matt sucks at the flute, but turns out he's pretty good at juggling and other sleight of hand stuff. And this is how they survive later on. This is really important because of the lessons from Tom. And it's lessons that only happened because Tom decided on Apprentices as their cover story and needed to follow through. I love it. You know, not to mention that he really was kind of hoping to get them away from the Aes Sedai. You know, maybe he really was intending to take them in as disciples and go all over his gleeman. You know, I, I, it really wouldn't have been the worst life in different circumstances, you know? Oh, I just, I just love it. Personally, I think Tom Drill Marilyn might just be one of the most adept teachers in the entire series. Who teaches Matt and Min how to throw and use knives? Tom Marilyn. Who coaches and taught Rand and Elaine a lot about the game of houses? Tom Marilyn. And lastly, who basically becomes the mentor slash advisor of the world's luckiest, youngest, great general? Do I need to give you a guess? It's, it's, it's Tom Marilyn. It's just uncanny, and I, I've got even more examples. You know? Okay, the dogs are barking, so I need to check what that is. Excuse me. Oh, lights, listeners. It was a horrible thing. A vagabond, a horrible, innocent person decided they'd walk down the street and earn the ire of the dogs. They should have known better. That's literally all they were barking at. Someone walked past, and they had to go nuts. Dumb animals. I don't like them. I don't. I like my cat, but I do not like those dogs. I really don't. Now, where was I? I, I? I believe I was saying I had more examples of how amazing and useful and important Tom Marilyn is. Okay, let's get back to that. Would the daughter heir of Andor really have done so well in her succession without the lessons of the old Gleeman? I don't think so. Would Tyr have fared as well in uh, without him there when Rand took over? I, 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 I don't think so. What about Kyrian or Ilian? Would they have welcomed Rand the way they did without Tom's aid in maneuvering in the Stone of Tyr? I am just saying this guy is seriously important to the pattern and the story himself. Story itself. <laughs> Go Tom, he is awesome. I'm just, I, I, I'm not looking forward to a frightful and awful parting in the White Bridge chapter. I'm really not. I know it's coming, but I don't want to because Tom is the best. Ah. Anyways, Rand feels pretty welcome with the crew, you know, all laughing together as they try to juggle or handstand, all except Gelb, who just watches the three passengers with hatred in his eyes and heart. Gelb is such an asshole. Oh, I'm gonna hate you because you got me in trouble with my boss. And if it wasn't for the red-haired farmer and his friend and that dreaded gleeman, I would have gotten away with slacking off. Arr! It's all that red hair's fault. Piece of shit, I tell you. I cannot wait. Wait 
until Florin Gelb gets a Sean Chan fist to the face. Oh, I'll be rooting for Egyanen when the time comes. He's just such a piece of shit. If you mess up, don't blame everyone else for you messing up. That's just Gelb is awful. It's awful. Uh, now, this next section of the chapter, we're moving on now, <laughs> was probably the most fun from a reread perspective. Rand was learning, leaning on the railing, staring at the shore, slowly passing by, and he's daydreaming, right, of his friends, you know, hopefully riding up along the shore because the boat's moving so slowly. If they, if they rode hard enough, they definitely catch up. It's just, sheesh, he's giving Matt grief for his brooding, but I guess Rand thinks sad daydreaming is a better way to spend your time. I don't, I don't know. Uh, anyways, they're traveling downriver when all of a sudden he spots, spots some really cool statues of kings on the shore. A whole bunch of them. Some with details visible, some worn with age. Regardless, they were very cool. And then just a bit further down the river, Rand sees something else. Something bright and metallic and shiny reflecting the sunlight. Oh yeah, it's a metal tower just sitting there in the trees a bit back from the bank. And Rand just marvels at it and he's getting... Both the attention of the brooding Matt and the captain. Uh, Domon, you know, says they used the tower as a river marker, meaning they were now 10 days out from Whitebridge. So we knew when Tom is going to leave them for good. Thanks a lot, Domon. Well, not for good, but for a while. I don't want it to happen. Okay, I need a, I need a man up. And just Okay, that is... Uh, where am I? <laughs> Okay, so, yeah, Doman tells them a bit about the tower, that it has no windows or openings, no scratches on the surface, and that it never rusts. Pretty damn cool stuff, especially since we know what it actually is. It's the entryway into the realms of the Aelfin and the Eelfin, and this knowledge makes Matt's interest in the tower so much more fun to read. I mean, otherwise, we just have to deal with dagger-possessed Matt whining about how the tower obviously has treasure in it, and he has to be all bad-tempered about it, and, and just be crazy obsessed with treasure instead of things that are important. <sighs> this way we have something to look forward to, right? Because Matt is an asshole right now. And I just have to get over it. <laughs> I cannot wait to reread that section of the Towers of Midnight for the podcast. You know, when Matt goes into the Tower of Genjai. But that'll probably be something like 11 years from now, considering our pace with the podcast. So, <sighs> man. Hearing this, though... Uh, you know, hear, uh, hearing this, though, Doman hears Matt say something about, oh, there must be treasure in there, and, oh, I just, I, I want it so bad. But Doman's like, no, lad, it's not treasure that makes the world important, it's the strangeness of the world that draws you to the next horizon, not the profits you may find. And it kind of makes Doman endearing, it gives you a good a bit of character, 
into the grumpy captain, you know? He's an actual adventurer. All he wants is to see the next horizon, find that next great adventure, and, and to see things people only expect to hear in Gleeman's Tales, you know? He'd probably get along pretty well with Captain Jack Sparrow or Straw Hat Luffy because... Let's be honest, Doman's a bit of a pirate, and it's more than just his accent. <laughs> uh, so, Doman goes on giving us some more awesome foreshadowing for later in the series, talking about one of the great Sa'angrials, though he doesn't know that, on the sea island of Tremalking, a large stone hand holding an orb sticking out of the hill. And we know that's the female giant Sa'angrial, which is great. He even mentions the sea folk are uh, out searching for their Koromor. We hear the term Koromor this early in the book. That's crazy. Oh, and Doman also talks about the Panarch's palace in Tanchico, where they have freezes of animals you've never seen before. And I especially love how Rand's like, any child can draw an animal no one's ever seen. That's not all that impressive. But Doman's like, aye, lad, that do be true. But do they also have the bones of those animals all strung together with wire and string and the like, as if they were in life? You know, because they do there, and anybody can go in and look at them. It's pretty fantastic. It's pretty fantastic. It really is. Uh, and he goes on about a silver spike in a hollowed-out mountain, and anyone who comes close dies. And there's just all sorts of things to see and find, and it's awesome. And I think I used this as my clip of the day anyway, so I don't need to go on. But, you know, he's talking about razor lace and light sticks and heart stones. It's fantastic. He even claims to have collected a few himself. Uh, yeah, Doman, we know you have a little black and white heartstone disc, and for some reason, after you got it, you keep being chased. Uh, oh, no. I I wonder why that could be. Oh, I don't know. Uh, but the other two sounded interesting, so I looked them up in the Wheel of Time companion book, and to my frustration, the description for razor, lace, razor lace, I can speak, I swear, I think I need to drink some water, was an object from the Age of Legends that Bale Domon brings up to Rand, Matt, and Tom. That's the description for Razor Lace. Why was it even in the book? It was it, it was nothing. It's a Razor Lace as a, as, a, as a magical artifact from the Age of Legends, and Bale Domon talked about it once. What is the importance of that in the, in the companion? It was so frustrating, but uh, at least I was able to find a description for uh, the light stick, which was described as uh, a long glass glow stick about the thickness of a thumb. And if you hold it in your hand, it becomes as bright as a lantern. But if you break it, the unknown contents can start a fire and it's awful. But still, the, the, the light stick... Sounds super practical and cool, and I wish I had one, but I'd probably break it on accident and burn the house down, so yeah. And we know what Hearthstone is already. It's 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 Quendiar, so we don't really need to cover that one. Moving on. It, it, it was just super fun to read these foreshadowing moments from Captain Doman. How could we have known at the time 
when we were reading the Eye of the World for the first time that the statue on Tremalkin would become so damn important, or that it would even cause such a fuss when it was lit up and in use. You know, how would we know that this chosen one, the sea folk we're looking for, that is brought up right here now, is actually Rand? You know? Or that Doman himself would bring up the Panarch's palace that he would assist Nynaeve and Elaine into breaking into just three books from now. You know? And then you go on to the mysterious tower that brought a moody Matt out of his stupor and would later be raided by two out of the three people passing by on the boat right now. Both Matt and Tom were right there. And not to mention that the third member of the party... The Jane Farstrider himself has already been mentioned in the book. Who would guess that the legendary adventure from a book Rand liked to read would eventually enter the story at all? It's just so damn great, and I love this stuff, and these are the reasons for rereads. Looking back at this right here, and it's just so much damn fun. Alright, back to the story yet again. <laughs> After hearing about the wonders, uh, Rand ponders that he and Matt used to... He and Matt and Perrin used to dig up strange stone fossils in the Stand Hills. I think they mentioned once that they uh, found a fish skeleton that was like the size of the boat, which is crazy. Maybe they found like a mastodon? No, mastodon... The Megalodon, the, 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 the big shark bigger than the Great White. I don't remember what that is. Um, Perrin used to dig up strange stone fossils, but people thought it was bad luck to dig in the sand hills. And Doman looks at Rand for a long moment before asking the young lad if he was already thinking of home. You know, and I think Doman was just trying to be bracing here, friendly, you know, give a bit of advice. And he told the young man that soon enough, the world would put a hook in him and his little village would no be big enough to hold him anymore. But Rand, <laughs> at great risk to blowing their cover, vehemently denies this, saying that he wants nothing more than to return home as soon as he can and raise sheep like his father. God, we're getting back into that. Uh, <laughs> And if he never leaves home again, it'll be too soon. He even tries to get Matt's support on this, which, seeing as he's all moody and possessed by the dagger, doesn't give a fully heartfelt agreement here. He's like, what? Yeah? Oh. Oh, totally. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely go back home one day. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> like, it, it's totally noncommittal. And Rand's just like, shit. I, he's all upset, you know? But Matt just turns away after this. You know, the tower's out of sight, and Doman's doing his own thing, and he just lets out a carrying whisper, you know, to display his distrust of Doman, that he probably just wants the metal tower's treasure for himself. <sighs> I'm not gonna lie, I already can't wait for Matt to be cured of the dagger, and Rand doesn't even know about the dagger yet. It, it, that, that comes next. After a foolish display from Rand, this final section of the chapter begins four days after, I believe, the chapter's opening. And Rand 
is in the throes of another channeling sickness, but this time he's not being mouthy to a white cloak. He's balanced atop the mast, swaying in the wind and watching the sailors go about their tasks. And at least this channeling sickness has the lad in a great mood, right? Rand is loving it. You know, and he even unwraps his arms and legs at one point and sways on the arcing mast, attempting to stay atop it through balance alone. And he lasts three swaying motions of the mast before he nearly falls off and breaks his damn neck. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it doesn't work too well for him. And that's when he hears Tom right below, because Tom had climbed up after him when he apparently stopped listening to the people shouting at him below. And I love Tom's line here. He's like, if you're trying to break your fool neck, boy, don't do it by falling on me. <laughs> Anyways, Tom convinces Rand to come down, but still caught up in his channeling fever, he decides to slide down the rope. You know, before landing with a bow, much like Tom would give to the crew. And they gave him a smattering of applause. Not quite sure if he was crazy or if this was impressive or, you know, what's going on. But, you know, he only needed one step to regain his balance. I mean, he was lucky. It was entertaining, you know. I think in Tom goes to uh, get rid of their suspicions by talking to the captain of the crew. However, it's in this moment that Rand snaps back to himself when he's looking down at Matt right before him and sees what his friend is holding. A curved dagger in a gold sheath with strange markings and a gold wire-wrapped hilt and, and a serpent crossguard with bared fangs. Not to mention, like, just a huge ruby on the pommel. And Matt was bent over the bear, uh, bent over the knife, bearing the blade and resheathing it, bearing the blade and resheathing it over and over. But he kind of jumps when he notices Rand there and quickly hides the dagger inside his coat. <sighs> and Rand asks where the hell Matt got such a thing, hoping he didn't take it from Chatter Logoth. But Matt did take it for Chatter Logoth and claims it was actually Matt and Perrin's fault. Sorry, Rand and Parent's fault that he had it at all because, you know, he had it in his hands when they hauled him out of the treasure room, you know, but since he took it instead of receiving it as a gift from Mordith, it, it should be fine, right? Like, it's, it doesn't have the same effect that Moraine said. Uh, no, it's not fine, Matt Cawthon. Oh, my God. Oh, whatever. Matt asks Rand not to tell anyone about the dagger, and since Rand is such a stand-up guy, he agrees without hesitation. He's worried about his buddy, but he's not going to betray his buddy. You know, he's like, I think Doman's honest, but I don't know about anyone else. So yeah, I won't tell anyone, Matt. And Matt's like, no, not good enough. Don't tell anyone, not Tom, not Doman, not anyone because Matt goes on to say he believes they're probably the only one left alive from the true river so they can only trust each other and to his credit Matt does look ashamed when Rand repeats his own belief that all of their friends are still alive but again Matt's like just don't tell anybody and Rand 
reaffirms his promise not to speak about the dagger. However, he foolishly believes now they have something to sell to help them travel like Matt will let that happen. But Rand doesn't know the hold it has over him yet, so, yeah. Yeah, Matt, sounds like the dagger's affecting you just fine. Not something to be concerned about at all, you know. Pot on Fane is supposed to kind of play the role of Golem, right? Golem here in this series, or at least in this book. But right now, it's Matt, who's obsessed over the precious and yeah, I guess it makes sense since Pot on Fane steals the bagger dagger back later, huh? Oh, it's just the dagger thing is frustrating. I understand its importance. And I I I fully believe it might have been part of the pattern, but it's still so frustrating. Oh anyways. The chapter ends with Tom returning to the boys and saying he is convinced. No, he has convinced the captain and the crew that Rand's foolish stunt was just part of the training, you know? And then he's going to now, now that he has them both in his grasp, he's going to continue his lessons. Rand, however, now that he's out of his trance, looks up to where he was when Tom got him, and he kind of pales a little bit and feels a little ill, you know? And he's just starting to wonder what the hell is wrong with him. And how he has to get to Tarvalin soon before he really goes mad. <laughs> oh, oh, he, I think he'll regret thinking that. He doesn't really want to go there. But, you know, I really, if he knew the full truth about himself, I doubt the lad would be, you know, saying such things. But I've always kind of wondered... Are there people, men, who discovered what was happening to them, or at least guessed, and made the trip to Tarvalin to have themselves gentled? I mean, it had to have happened at least once, right? You know, and if they did, were they treated poorly by the Aes Sedai, or like a dangerous animal? Or were they praised for making the right decision, and maybe were invited to stay and become a warder? I mean, really, it had to have happened at least once, since the formation of the tower, right? It's, it's, it's just something I've always thought about. Well, that's it for Chapter 24, Flight Down the Iron Owl. A pretty damn enjoyable chapter, even though I kept stumbling over my own goddamn words. I hope I was alright, you guys. I hope you enjoyed yourselves. Uh, but I'm, I'm guessing you knew this was an enjoyable chapter, because when I put up a poll on Twitter asking which group... You people liked heading for Camelin the most between Moraine, Land, and Nynaeve, Paranagwen, and Elias, and Rand, and Matt, and Tom. By majority vote, Matt, Rand, and Tom won. So, yeah, I kind of see why. This is a lot of fun. Uh, well, next time we'll be meeting the Tinkers, so pretty excited to meet Rain and Isla again. I've always liked them. Less excited for Aram, because I've always hated Aram, 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 whatever. The tinker with a sword who's got a bad attitude and a mean streak. I'm just... <sighs> Anyways. I guess it's time to close out the podcast with another session, uh, session of Baal Zaman's Q&A. So, suppose I better call him back with that Terangrial so we can get started. 
just kind of hesitating because I feel like this is some sort of trap. I just, this can't go well. Okay, okay, we'll do this. So I put it on the wall. I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip the switch, and hopefully Baalzaman will come. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Just gotta flip this switch, and Baalzaman will be back. Okay. Uh, guys, I really feel like this is a trap. Like, I, I, I almost want to just do no Baalzaman Q and A today. I really do. I don't trust it. I don't. But you guys, I put out another poll a while back, and you and you guys unanimously, unanimously agreed you wanted more Baalzman Q&A. So if you really want this to keep going on, remember to keep sending in questions for Baalzman at either Twitter or uh, email me at gleamanradio at gmail.com or, you know, put uh, I have a Reddit now. You can put the questions there. I just... Alright, I, I, I'm procrastinating too much. I gotta do it. I gotta do it. Alright, I'm gonna flip the switch. Oh my god! Oh, okay. Oh, it shocks you. Okay. Oh, hey, Gleeman, you ready for the Q&A? Are, are you, are you alright? No, of course I'm not alright. Your goddamn terror hungry all shocked me. God damn it, all my hair on end and all, oh, it hurts. Everything hurts. Oh my god. Alright. I'm gonna need just a minute before we get on with the Q&A, okay? You know what, Gleeman? You look like you need a minute. Why don't you go out and, you know, rest or lie down? Oh, you're just gonna lie down there? Alright. Uh, you have all the questions pulled up, so I'll just do it myself. No real problem. Alright, our first question- There's only three questions again, Gleeman. Really? Alright, alright. Our first question comes from Patron James Claver on Twitter. Dark Lord, such petty concerns are beneath you. Ooh, I like this guy. But for the sake of such scum as myself, you declare the victor. Oh, I shall, I shall. Crapple or Android? Apple or Google? I don't... Oh, okay, Gleeman's talked to me about this. These are phones, right? Alright, I know the Gleeman has like this $70 Google phone, he got an Android that he got from Walmart, and it works perfectly fine for him. Uh, I saw someone else with an Apple phone once, and I asked him about it, and he said it was just a status symbol, that, you know, his phone cost 60 to $70, while their phone cost 600 to $700, and while their phone was better, it wasn't technically the best phone out there you could get. So, uh, I'm gonna go with the Gleeman on this and say Android and Google, uh, because, yes, but because we have review, uh, on Apple, I'm going to, yeah, I'm gonna say Google, yes, that seems more legitimate, uh, it's all a status thing, nothing really important, moving on to our second question, which comes from Redditor Priok. I hope I'm saying that correctly. Uh, it's a three-parter, and he'll, it'll be spread out between multiple episodes. Uh, I'm, I'm reading Gleeman's notes here. I don't know what's happening. Basically, it's the old game, Marry, Screw, or Kill. Oh, I've heard of this. And for today, your picks are Rand, Matt, and Perrin. All right. Well, if I had to choose, uh, I'd marry Luz Theron. No reason. It's not like 
Uh, no reason at all. I just, I, I, he, he seems the most on my level. Um, Matt seems like he'd be good for a fun time, and Perrin's brooding bores me, you know? Uh, I mean, I know Matt's brooding now, but he's, he's, he's overcome by the taint of Shadow Logos, but that'll be fixed up, I already know that. Uh, so, yes. Mary Randolph Thor, screw Matt Cawthon, and kill Perrin Avar. That's what I'll go with. And our third and final for question for the day also comes from Reddit, Milva919. I, 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 don't, I don't know what... Uh, I hope I'm getting that right. Uh, how did you get your fire eyes? Oh, yes. Uh, well, it comes from using the true power which is something given to us by the great Lord of the Dark. Very, f very few of the Chosen are actually permitted to use this amazing power. It is truly great, truly sought after. There's a reason, you know, Marin drilled through the hole, the, the bore, in order that unfreed, that freed the Dark One way back when, because they wanted this power. Now, at first, it gives you the saw, which are these red spots that go, not red spots, black spots that go across your eye line. But eventually, those spots, those saw, will become the flames that you see now before you. Uh, it's just a adverse side effect to using the true power, but whatever, the true power's amazing, and I'll use it all I want. That was all the questions. Uh, Gleeman, you should probably get up off the floor now. I've got shit to do again. Uh, maybe wear a rubber glove the next time you want to call me. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, you know, I'm getting sick and tired of my dealings with that man leaving me on the floor. Oh, what a surprise. The Terong Rial I was worried about shocks the user. It brings him here, but it... Oh, God, I feel awful. Oh. Oh, I hope the Q&A was alright. I only kind of re-woke up when he was walking out. Uh, yeah. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Ah, oh, God. Um, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, wherever you are. Remember, if you enjoyed this podcast, go to Apple Podcast and rate us five stars. It'll really help get our more, more people watching, more people learning about us. Remember to like or subscribe, whether you're on a podcast app or YouTube. Remember to comment, because I absolutely love to hear from you guys. Uh, if you want to leave me a personal message or chat with me or anything... Uh, there's my Reddit. I don't really know how Reddit works yet. I'm still learning. Uh, I got my uh, Twitter, the Gleeman Radio, uh, and I got my email at gleemanradio at gmail.com. So always remember, like, subscribe, review, and criticize. Whatever. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, wherever you are. Morning, afternoon, or evening. I need a. I need a. I need. I. I. I need a rest. That. That really hurts. Oh my god. <sighs>